What's up, guys? My name is Mark, and you found your way to the Out of Step SLC podcast. Now, we all know Utah is a weird fucking place to live, and there's some good reasons for that. Like, recently in the town I grew up in, the city changed what well they used for tap water, and there were a lot of residents on the news concerned, talking about how their pets and their children were having some minor health issues, like upset stomachs, even some rashes. And what we found out was that in the state of Utah, the acceptable amount of dissolvable solids is 2,000 milligrams, micrograms, whatever, or under. While federally, the EPA recommends 500 or less. Now, truth be told, the water out there was testing somewhere in like the high 800s. So, I mean, it's not like fatal or terrible, but I'll believe the claims of what's happening to the people over what the government says any day of the fucking week. Especially when that specific local government has a detailed, colorful history of corruption and goes on TV and paints its residents as being dramatic. Up north in Ogden, there was another, yes, I said another, train derailment that was also carrying hazardous material. Only this time, it was a Union Pacific train, and the local news barely even covered it, which for me raised quite an alarm because when something like that, especially with what's going on with America's infrastructure right now, just gets swept under the rug, I mean, it makes you, it makes a person wonder. And there are Utahns who are legitimately mad as fuck about the new design of the state flag. Like, really? Of all the actual important things to be pissed about, like the removal of women's and trans rights, the fact that the church doesn't pay taxes, even though it's a business, no one will ever convince me otherwise, and the increase of anti-Semitism and white supremacy, you're going to be mad about a piece of fabric? Fuck off. But what I actually love about living here is the counterculture and the music scenes that I call home. I really think we have one of the hardest scenes in the country due to the overwhelming need to resist the right-wing religious culture that not only surrounds us, but stifles us as well. Happy St. Patrick's Day, everyone! May your heart be light and happy, may your smile be big and wide, and may your pockets always have a coin or two inside. <laughs> now, in honor of my favorite holiday, I'm going to talk about my most favorite, hell, probably one of, if not the biggest influences on this genre to ever hit the scene, Irish punk slash rock slash folk band of all time, Flogging Molly. I did talk a little bit about them early on in the show when my wonderful wife bought us tickets when they came to Salt Lake back in September. Go check out episode two and how fucking weird I sound when I was learning how to like get used to my voice and shit. Those of you who have been with me since the beginning know that Flogging Molly was the first show that I ever went to, and it left a lasting impression on me. They will always have a special place in my heart, and they are one of the few bands that I have been listening to rather consistently for over half of my lifetime, and will continue <laughs> listening to them for decades to come. Now, Flogging Molly, they have been around for a long time. They were formed back in 1993 by frontman and native son to Ireland, specifically Beggar's Bush, Dublin. 
Dave King, along with his now wife, uh, Bridget Regan, they had Ted Hunt, Jeff Peters, and Paul Crowder to kind of round out the rest of the band. Ted and Jeff bailed uh, just a couple years after um, when their er an earlier project of theirs called Reach Around scored a record deal. But Flogging Molly played at a bar called Molly Malone's in Los Angeles every Monday night for years. And they had built like a small but very faithful following. In fact, they played at Molly's for so long that Dave told Kerrang! Magazine, quote, we used to play there every Monday night and we felt like we were flogging it to death. So we called the band Flogging Molly. <laughs> well, eventually the owners of Side One Dummy Records had come into the bar and watched their performance and ended up signing them. Um, in 1997, they released a live behind the green door, which was a live recording of one of their performances at Molly Malone's and boy, howdy. I mean, if they only knew how huge they would become after this. Now I want to mention something on a side note, something that I do find really inspiring. Dave was born in 1961, right? So that means that he was almost 40 by the time he was realizing his dream by playing punk rock music with Irish instruments. I feel like there's so much pressure to succeed early on. And if you haven't by your mid to late thirties, that it's just simply not going to happen. And you may as well just give up and go back to your dead end, unfulfilling day job. But Dave didn't. Obviously he believed in himself and his dream and he put in the work and got it done. Now that obviously is an oversimplification and surely, you know, he faced that significant hardship and the demon that is self-doubt. All I'm saying though, guys, is like, I just, on a side note, I do find this inspiring. Anyway, so Flogging Molly has had a massively successful career with over nine full-length albums, including Alive Behind the Green Door and a CD-DVD combo called Whiskey on a Sunday. Now... I can't quite remember how much in depth I went <laughs> when I talked about them earlier. Uh, so I'll just start at the beginning. Um, you'll just have to bear with me. So I actually discovered Flogging Molly through my cousin way the fuck back in 2004 or maybe 2005. Now, she's one of those millennials that had access to the Internet and was constantly on it. Finding music, hanging out in chat rooms, fucking playing RuneScape and Gaia Online, you know, the good old fucking days. Anyway, we were having some kind of family event, and she told us that we absolutely had to watch this music video. She and my uncle described it as pirate punk rock. So naturally, as a bunch of angsty, nerdy 11 and 13 year olds, we were Curious. So she put on Seven Deadly Sins, and before we knew it, we were singing and dancing and hooked like a teenager with a vape in a ba school bathroom. <laughs> uh, we shared it with my old man, who actually liked it. Um, and just a little while later, my brother and I got the albums Whiskey on a Sunday and Within a Mile of Home for Christmas, along with a couple of concert tickets to see them live at in the venue with our dad. Those of you who have been paying attention this whole time are, already know this. Now, after scouring the internet and finding some <laughs> websites, I managed to be able to listen to more of their stuff like A Lie Behind the Green Door, Swagger, and Drunken Lullabies. I shared Flogging Molly with my friends, and for once, they actually liked the music too, which was really encouraging for a change. 
I already told the story of seeing them seeing Flonking Molly live for the first time, so you just have to go back to episode two for that. So guys, I'm going to go on ahead and just dive into the albums and share my thoughts and opinions, as well as recommendations for those of you who <laughs> somehow haven't heard of them by now. We'll start back in 1997 with Alive Behind the Green Door. This album was released independently, and like I had mentioned, it is a live recording of one of their sets at Molly Malone's. Um, it features a few of what would later become major hits, like Swagger, Every Dog Has Its Day, and a personal favorite of mine, Black Friday Rule. It's not too bad of a live album. I mean, of course, the sound quality isn't the best, but considering it was way the fuck back in 1997, it sounds way better than you would expect. And it does have that gritty charm that you find in early hardcore and punk recordings of the time. Fuck, it's even clearer. <laughs> so if you can stand that, this is this is nothing. This is an easy listen for you. Now, in 2000, they released Swagger, which is their first studio album with 13 tracks. On this record, they have professionally recorded versions of Every Dog Has Its Day, Black Friday Rule, and Selfish Man. <laughs> Every one of these songs, they still play today at their shows, which I think is cool. And... Uh, because they're so old, I feel like it's kind of rare. Just, you know, they've been around for so long, but it really does speak to the quality of the songs. Uh, this album also features The Likes of You Again and the eternally popular Devil's Dance Floor. Just a couple years later, in 2002, they released Drunken Lullabies. This one is a great follow-up to their debut I mean, there were so many improvements just across the board from Dave singing to the instrumentation. Uh, this is best represented in the title track, Drunken Lullabies, uh, with well-placed gang vocals and a pace that's like perfect for a circle pit. They did get a little experimental with Another Bag of Bricks and Death Valley Queen, um, Swagger, appears on this record and guys every time i listen to it i just think of being in some rowdy fucking pub having a damn good time and just slamming down pints of the black stuff you know i just made a whole shit ton of you cringe i don't care <laughs> now in 04 they released within a mile of home uh this record it's it's kind of disappointing I'll, I'll be honest with you guys it's kind of disappointing it starts off so strong with screaming at a wailing wall and it can really that song can really only be described as like a frenzied fast pace that it just induces this desire. It's one of those songs that makes you want to make those bad attempts at Irish dance. Uh, it has a really strong accordion coupled with a banjo that's just being beat to death. This album also has everyone's favorite. The, the, I think personally the song that probably put them on the map, Seven Deadly Sins. Uh, the accordion and the fiddle in this song are just mighty. And you really do feel like you're on a pirate ship with dear old Dave at the helm. Especially, like, near the end of the song, there's this really light-hearted little ditty between the fiddle and the drums. And you just, you have to dance. It doesn't matter where you are, you just kind of have to bop around, <laughs> jump around a little bit. Now, I say it's not that great of a record because after these two songs, the album just goes into this folksy side, right? I mean, 
you have down the down the road on it, you you still have Tobacco Island, which is really catchy and brings some of the pace and energy back. And Queen Anne's Revenge, which is the heaviest track on the album. Um, it's just it's more of a moshing song. It's a lower key, including Dave's voice. And as for the rest of the songs, though, I couldn't tell you the last time I listened to them. Like it just too folksy for me. I just not a fan. So a couple more years go by and they release Float. Now in Float, you hear them return to their roots. There was quite a bit of the fan base, myself included, that we were starting to like fall away from them after Within a Mile of Home. Because at the time, it just seemed that they were going to lean way more into the folksy shit and away from the punk sound that was phenomenal on Drunken Lullabies. It opens with Requiem for a Dying Song, which immediately it throws you right back into the old school. Dave's voice is clear and crisp, as are the instruments. I mean, you can actually hear the individual instruments, even the bass, for Christ's sake, which is really impressive because one thing about this genre is that it is way too fucking easy for the instruments to just blend together to make it just, it just sounds like noise if you don't do it right. Kind of like freeform jazz with an accordion. So it, this album was really, really crisp and clear, and it was refreshing. One thing that is also universally agreed upon with this album is Dave's vocals are just phenomenal. Though, you know, he's not as gruff, he is bold and full throughout the entirety of the album. Now, the title track, Float, is a somber ballad where gradually the violin, accordion, and banjo come into it, making it more of like an emotional experience. Um, it is a bit of a darker album, but I'd rather a darker sounding ballad over the within a mile of home semi-experimental folksy sound any day of the damn week. 2011 brought us Speed of Darkness. Uh, this album marks, for me at least, and I was probably late to the party in, on this one <laughs> because I was just barely getting to an age that I could recognize it, is when they started really leaning more into politics and social issues, coupled that with, like, deeply personal struggle, right? Uh, this album also speaks to the downtrodden working class in Revolution with my favorite lyric going, quote, because I signed off on the American dream, now I write my name to the welfare scheme. Now, if you guys remember, there was a huge recession back in 2008, and there were a ton of people who were laid off, and it was near impossible to find a job, let alone one that paid well. And we felt that for years after. I mean, fuck, those of us who graduated probably during like 2007 through like 2013 like, getting into the workforce, we all remember how impossible it was to find a job. The economy was in shambles, and we just didn't have any fucking experience. We were high school kids. Now, Don't, Don't Shut Them Down also speaks on this with people losing everything from their homes, jobs, even their own families. This record, it is something special, and I highly recommend you listen to it. So quite a few years went by. Six, <laughs> to be exact, before they released another album. Uh, 2017 brought us Life is Good. Uh, this was 
their first album to be recorded in Dublin, Ireland. Uh, and the opening track, There's Nothing Left, Part 1, is hands down my most favorite song they've ever done. Uh, it opens with a soft picking of an acoustic guitar, and then a beautiful violin is introduced, and it slowly escalates through the drums. Uh, this song has a couple lyrics in particular that I really like. Uh, quote, Dear Majesty, I kneel at your feet, though my heart, it tells me I am wrong. For I am my own man, and these are my needs. And without them, your sovereign would be lost. Sending a clear message of the only reason anybody is ever in power is because people put them there. <laughs> the common people put them there, and they can just as easily be toppled. The next, the next one is, quote, Come gather what's left of the cause, and together we'll march on the backs of the damned and rise from beneath one and all. Further reinforce, reinforcing rebellion and restructuring. It's a very impactful, pretty song that speaks directly to the working class. And though I absolutely loathe using this term, the common man, uh, it echoes with what a lot of us think and feel. Honestly, uh, this song then launches us into the hand of John L. Sullivan, who is a famous Irish boxer from like the 1900s. The upbeat swing of the song is sure to get you up off your fucking ass and dancing around while singing along with a very to a very catchy chorus. Of course, there's also quite a few ballads as per the norm. And one that stands out is the ironically named Life is Good, where the chorus goes, quote, Life is good. Life is fine. Life is everything we loathe. It's so unkind. Dave also attacks politicians in the songs in the song Reptiles, We Woke Up, railing against corrupted officials and how we woke up as as the po general populace woke up and actively take a stand against them. Now, this brings us to their latest release, Anthem. Um, they spent five more years after Life is Good touring as much as they could and taking care to continue writing just the very heavily symbolic and re rebellious music that they've refined over the years. Uh, it opens up with These Times Have Got Me Drinking. Um, and this song is about how dark the world was during like the height of the pandemic and the lockdown and the personal shit that he and the rest of us went through during the lockdowns. Uh, the criminal war in Ukraine largely inspired A Song for Liberty. And when we were at that show, Dave had given a speech about it. Crappie Boy has a heavy marching feel that will have you <laughs> literally marching in place, singing along to the chorus. My favorite song on this record is This Road of Mine. It's just an old school sounding song where Dave recounts his life. And inevitably, you find yourself reflecting on your own path. So guys, it's pretty obvious that Flogging Molly over the years favors more of a folksy sound in the form of ballads over that traditional punk sound. And don't get me wrong, the spirit is still there in every album, and we do get one or two songs that remind us of the old, old days. But that's, that's the great thing about punk. There's really, there's no wrong way to do it. And even though it doesn't necessarily sound like it, it's still there in the lyrics and performance. Now, admittedly, I'm way more a fan of their punkish earlier sound in Drunken Lullabies. 
over the slow ballads that are true of, you know, Life is Good, Speed of Darkness, and Anthem. However, I still appreciate their music for what it is, and I definitely respect what they've been able to accomplish in this small, not-too-well-known genre of Celtic punk. They've really taken the ball and fucking ran with it. Okay, it's time for my recommended songs for you guys to go check out. And fair warning, it's quite a list. <laughs> I highly recommend Seven Deadly Sins to start. Um, Drunken Lullabies, Swagger, Black Friday Rule, Salty Dog, Speed of Darkness, There's Nothing Left, This Road of Mine, and Devil's Dance Floor. Besides There's Nothing Left, these songs, the other songs, will get your parties rocking, have everybody singing together and having a good time. Nothing left will leave you reflective, introspective, <laughs> excuse me, and it is really a beautiful song. All right, guys, that does it for this week's episode. Thank you for listening, and if I could ask a small favor of you guys, um, would you listen, if you could download the episodes, it would really help me out. Like, literally, it's the only way I know that you guys are out there, and I would truly appreciate it if you could. Please be sure to leave a rating and review on your way out. I really want to know what you guys think. Also, don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode. And hey, share this with a fucking friend, why don't you? Find me on Instagram at OutofStepSLC. And until next time, we'll see you in the pit.